0: Once God's plan was a mystery hidden from our sight. Now God has disclosed what was kept secret for so very long. He has brought it out into the light. In the brighter light, in this fourth Sunday in Advent, may we see more clearly the glory of God in Christ and sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever.
1: I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as, is as enduring as the heavens. Psalm eighty nine one and two.
2: Light four candles. See them glow brightly so that all may know how four candles show the way, making our darkness bright as God's day.
1: I declare that your unfailing love is established forever. Your faithfulness is as, in, is as firm as the heavens.
2: Dear God, your faithfulness has been great, leading us to this day of anticipation and celebration. May the glorious light of your steadfast love shine brightly in us and through us, that all may give you praise and glory. In the Savior's name we pray. Amen.
3: Amen. It's great to see you as we gather for worship today. We have a few folks who are still trying to come in, so if you can squeeze in your row and uh, make some room for others to come, that would be great. Uh, Take a moment share a word of greeting with others uh, here in worship today. As you can see in the bulletin, there are uh, some special things happening this week, and I want to remind you of those. Uh, Thursday evening at 5 and at 7, we'll have uh, candlelight Christmas Eve services here at the church. We uh, invite you to be a, a part of one or both of those gatherings. The first service uh, will be a little bit more geared to children, and we'll have a children's time for them, and, uh, but in, in both services, we'll light candles, we'll read the scriptures, Uh, We will sing the great carols uh, of our faith, and so we uh, anticipate uh, some wonderful times together on Thursday at 5 and at 7. Tonight at 5 o'clock, we're going to be gathering for our annual tradition of singing your favorite Christmas carols. Uh, We'll come together tonight, and you get to choose what we sing, and uh, we'll have some carols that are not in our hymnal that are favorites as well. And then afterwards, we'll go to the community room and have a time of uh, fellowship, some cookies, and uh, some uh, coffee and juice and things, and we'll uh, just have a good time together. So we hope you'll join us tonight at 5 o'clock here for the time of singing your favorite carols. I uh, also want to uh, to mention that uh, uh, Horace Emmons died yesterday uh, after uh, an illness, a bit of illness, and so we want to remember uh, Diane and the family in our prayers. Uh, the uh, arrangements for Horace, the funeral is going to be Wednesday at 1 o'clock here at the church. And the visitation will be Wednesday 11 to 1 here at the church prior to the service. So uh, I want to make you aware of that. And also I know that they would appreciate our prayers as well. We also have the opportunity to uh, take a few moments to pray for a couple of teams that are heading out on uh, some uh, missions trips over the next couple of weeks. And uh, we, uh, we want to pray for the team going to Eleuthera and also the team going to Haiti, the medical dental team. And uh, the folks who are part of those teams are, uh, I think, interspersed throughout the, the church this morning. And so i want to ask them to stand as a part of the team. And if you are around them or you can get to them, we want to lay hands on them and just take a few moments to pray for them. So if you're part of either of the teams, please stand. And, uh, and then we want to uh, have a moment to pray for you. So if you're near those folks, maybe stand up, lay hands on them, uh, move toward them, and uh, we will uh, offer a word of prayer for them. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing the gospel of Christ with others. And I thank you for these who represent these two teams who will be going to Haiti and to Eleuthera. Thank you for the the wonderful uh, things you've done for the trips in the past and for what we believe you're going to do this year. We pray that you will help them as they get all the uh, organization taken care of and the preparation. We pray that you would prepare each of their hearts to go and to serve. We pray that while they are in these countries, they will truly be able to shine your light into the lives of people who have needs. We pray for wisdom, for sensitivity, and, uh, and for the ability to connect with people, even in a brief time together. We pray that you would protect them as they travel, and we pray that you would work in their hearts and that you you would do something for them as much as you do through them. So we pray that you would pour out the abundance of your blessing on all who are in these two teams, and may they know your grace, your mercy, your strength, and your power to share the gospel. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you.
2: first scripture reading for this morning is found in Micah chapter 5. Micah 5 verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Please stand and join us as we continue in worship together.
1: (laughs) What hope we hold this darling night. i in love.
0: to invite the ushers forward to assist us as we give back to God just a portion of all that he has lavished upon us. Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God to
1: a midnight heavenly song whispers that hope is alive oh joy to the world on this whole
3: We spend a few moments praying together in our practice for quite some time to open the altar rail for those of you who feel that that helps you express your prayers to God. And if you'd like to use the altar rail to offer your prayers today, please come and join me. Father, on this Sunday as we move toward the celebration of Christmas, we pray that you will fill us with uh, an acute awareness of what you've done for us in Christ. Father, we pray that you will fill us with a spirit of sensitivity and awareness, that we might know you in deeper ways and that we might see the world with your eyes, that we might actually model the behavior as you've shown us in the loving act of the coming of Jesus. Father, this morning as we gather, there are a lot of needs that we represent. Things that are close to us and things around the world. Father, we do pray today for all who are grieving and we think of Carol McNeil's family, we think of Diane Emmons and her family, and others who may be on our hearts and our minds today as we move toward this holiday. We ask for your comforting presence upon each of them. Surround them with your grace. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with issues of health. We think, especially this morning, of Karen Gardy and Calvin and Laurel Buecher, Warren Woolsey and Bill Getty. We pray for Phil Muker and Evelyn Heil, for Mike Raybuck and Jill Tyson, for Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, and for Linda Roth and Dick Gould and for Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar and for others who may be on our minds today. We ask for your healing grace upon each of them. Father, we pray for the ministries of our church and today we think of the ministry to the local nursing home, to the absolute. We pray that as we make these weekly trips and other times in between, as we interact with the residents and the staff, we pray that you will work miraculously and that your presence will be seen in this place of, of need. We ask, Father, for your Holy Spirit to help us to minister your grace. Father, we pray for the churches around us, and we think especially today of the Belleville Wesleyan Church in Canyadea. We ask, Father, for your grace upon this group of people and Pastor Roy. We pray that you would bless them with a wonderful time of worship today and in the days to come. We pray you continue to bless them as they reach out to their community and beyond and fill them with your gracious mercy in powerful ways. And Father, we We think about the world beyond us. We think of the refugees who are in need. We pray for your grace to supply places of permanent residence. We think, Father, particularly of the Syrian Christian refugees who, uh, for the fifth year, many of them are, are celebrating Christmas away from their villages and their homes and their churches. We pray, Father, that you will, first of all, bring peace to the places that make refugees a necessity. We pray you bring relief and hope. And, Father, we pray for the witness of your spirit in your people and through your people in these very difficult circumstances. We pray for the church around the world as we move toward the celebration of Christmas. Father, let us be a brighter light than ever into the world of darkness in great need. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for that in his coming the world is changed. We pray that you would give us grace to live in the power and in the spirit of Christ. And we pray all of this your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray, our Father
0: Following the New Testament scripture reading, children ages 2 through 5 are dismissed for Children's Church, which meets on the first floor of the Christian Education Building. Our New Testament scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Following the tradition of the church, if you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that there will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. Which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Despite how we often tend to think of it, I have a feeling that the, the, uh, the setting where Jesus was born probably sounds a lot more like what we were hearing during the scripture reading than what we tend to think of. You have a baby here. It's crying. It's stuff, and, and we have these expectations that, you know, of course, you know, uh, the, the carol we sing, No Crying He Makes... It seems to me it can't be anything further from the truth if you're around a baby. But you know, we, have these, we have these idyllic ideas of what that scene was like. And we do the same thing with our lives. You know, we, we have these idyllic ideas of what life should be. And, and we, the truth of the matter is, we want life to be like this. And most of the time, life is like this. Life is a series so often of ups and downs, victories and failures, good things and bad things. And in the midst of that, we get frustrated with ourselves, we get frustrated with others, we get frustrated with God. I think that's a similar situation in which Israel finds itself as we come to the prophet Micah. Mike is prophesying about what is going to happen to Israel. As you walk through this prophecy, you find so this recurring pattern of because of your sin, you're going into exile, then I'm going to help you. Because of your sin, you're going into exile, then I'm going to help you. And you come to chapter 5, and, and God says to them, yes, things are going to be bad. He used The term in verse 1 is going to strike the ruler, your ruler on the cheek. This is not good. Assyria has come, and Assyria is going to do damage to you. And, and he's going to, going to take you into exile, and it's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. But the promise he makes here is, I'm going to bring you home. He says, you're going to return from exile, and I'm going to bring you home. And home and Christmas are often connected. I mean, a lot of what we do, some of you here this morning, are home for Christmas. And we think a lot of our most profound memories of Christmas have to do with home. Family, going someplace to be with family, people coming to where we are to be together for this holiday. We We even have a lot of songs about it, right? I'll be home for Christmas, home for the holidays. We 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 have the we, we have this idyllic idea that getting home means safety, security, comfort. But that's not true for everyone. For some people, the metaphor of home is not a positive memory, it's a negative memory. For some people, it doesn't it doesn't communicate warmth and security and love and affection and comfort. It something completely different pain, struggle, chaos, turmoil. And and in in the midst of that, we're trying to figure out what exactly Christmas means. And to our yearning for home, Christ comes. I think one of the reasons why it's so painful when home isn't that place of security and safety is because we are all wired to want to be home. Home should be that place for us. Home is supposed to be that place of comfort, that place of love and warmth. And when it's not, the pain is that much deeper. But God says... To Israel and to us, I'm bringing you home. And maybe the best description of that in this passage is that you will live in peace. Home will be peace. Again, for some of us, that's not the image of home that we have. It's anything but peace. But God says, when you're home, there'll be peace. Peace. That word, it's the word shalom, and it it carries that connotation of a blessing, of wholeness, completeness. I have in my mind the image of, of a puzzle and putting in the last piece. Or going through a recipe and adding the last ingredient. Or a little closer to what many of us have experienced, It is, it's putting the last period on that paper that's due. Or hitting the send button to the last grade that's due. You know, it's completion, it's wholeness, it's fulfillment, it's it's all these scattered pieces coming together and creating the image that they're supposed to be. And that's why this word can be a blessing and and a word of greeting to people. We're saying, we want you to have wholeness, completeness, we want you to be blessed. And God says that's what it's going to mean to be home. It's going to be blessed because He is our peace. He is the one who comes. He's going to bring you home to peace. The hard thing about that, I think, for us is that we tend to think of peace as meaning there are no problems, there are no difficulties, there are no struggles. And the truth is, eventually, we will get to that. Eventually, when Jesus reappears, when Jesus comes a second time, then we will know peace like that. But for now, it is sort of peace in spite of. It is peace in the midst of the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, the struggles and the victories. One of his books, Mark Laberton, talks about the difference between living in exile and living in exodus. And he, he talks about how when you live in exodus, it's all about getting freedom. It's all about being free from slavery, free from chains, free from our enemies. It is running away from that, like Israel escaping Egypt. But living in exile... Is, is living in the midst of it and being a presence in the midst of it. Being light and salt in the midst of it. And he says it's not a far stretch to, to see that the American church, I, I would say probably the church around the world, but particularly the American church, is living in exile. We live in a land that that often rejects God, ignores God, politely dismisses God, is apathetic and sometimes worse toward God. And our natural inclination, because we want to be home, is to run home. And we're called to stay. As Jeremiah says, God says to to Jeremiah, tell the people to engage in making the city the best place it can be. But we're tempted to want to run home. I was thinking about that this week, and I was reminded of an event that took place in my life when I was in second grade. It's funny how you remember certain things, especially, you know, 20 or 25 years ago. It's hard to remember that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, you know, I, I can distinctly remember I was in second grade. We lived in the little town of Mitchell, Indiana, sort of southern Indiana. and um, And for some reason that year... They put the second graders into, I remember, Emerson Elementary School. Isn't that weird? Do you remember that? Uh, we, went to, we were in this school, and most of the other, the older grades were in Burris Elementary School, near the side of this little town. And so we're, we're in this school, and, uh, and I made friends with a, a boy in my class whose father was a pastor of a Baptist church in town. And my dad was a minister as well, and so we had this connection. And we became good friends, and we decided that, after school one day, I would go to his house and spend the night and then come back to school the next day with him. So we, um, we went home on the bus together and uh, went to his house. And for some reason, I was scared to death of his father. I, I don't know why. I, I have no idea why. That I don't remember. I don't remember why. Um, you know, I don't know if it was because we were Wesleyan and he was Baptist. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Uh, I, I don't know. But, you know, I don't know. It seems like he had a beard. Maybe that scared me. I, I don't know what it was. I think he was a big guy. But for some reason, he scared me. And, and, I, and I remember thinking the whole time I was scared about his dad coming home from work that day. And being in their house. And I have no idea why. I think he was a really nice man. But I was scared of him. Well, you know, so all this is in my mind. And he happened to live across the street from Burroughs Elementary School where my older sister was in school. And they had a playground there, so we went over, and we were playing on the swings and all that stuff. And we decided, okay, we had time to go home. As we're walking from the back of the school to the front, I look up, and here comes my sister walking out of the school with, I think, her Girl Scout troop. And getting ready to get in the car with one of her friend's mothers to take them home. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm getting ready to go home to his house. His dad's coming home soon. I think this is an act of God. <laughs> I couldn't. I didn't know the theology of that when I was in second grade, but I think that's what was going on. And in that moment, I made this split second decision, and I jumped in the car with my sister and took off and went home with her. And my little friend just standing there like, "What just happened here?" And we, my, I know my sister, she's here today, and I know she was embarrassed to death, you know, this is going on. And I'm walking in the house, my mom is doing a double take. What are you doing here? And then it's like, oh, I can't believe it. I'm going to kill you. What are you doing to me here? And, you know, making phone calls and all these apologies. So what's going on? But I just wanted to run home. I was scared, and I wanted to run home. And there's something about that in us that we just want to run home. We just want to get away. And sometimes that's what worship becomes for us. Worship becomes a place where we run away from the rest of the world. And it's a place where we cloister ourselves off. And even as Christians, we can do that. We think that it's just about walling ourselves off from all the stuff of the world that, that makes us worried and anxious and fearful. And, and if we could, just, we could just surround ourselves together and, and circle the wagons, then everything would be fine. But the truth of the matter is, God's called us to live in exile in this world. And the coming of Jesus doesn't mean we just run. It means that we are now called to engage the world. We have light to share in the darkness. We have hope to share in in despair. We have a presence to be a witness for the gospel. And that will mean engaging in the world. And loving the world. Instead of seeing people who are opposed to God as the enemy, we see them as people God loves and who need Jesus. And we live our lives in such a way that 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 shines through us. And instead of living in fear that causes us to run away, we live in the hope that we're going home. We live in that hope. And that hope gives us strength and identity and focus and everything that we need to be the presence of God in the world for Jesus. What's so fascinating to me about, about this passage and all of this is that God says that I'm going to do this in a way that you will not expect. What I would expect God to do, and if I were writing the script... I would try to think of the most sensational, spectacular thing God could do. And then people would step back and take notice. Wow. And instead, Micah says, I'm going to come to Bethlehem, which is the least of all the cities of Judah. That word least, means insignificant. It is what you call... The, the youngest child in the family. It's, it's what they called David. When, the, when Samuel came looking for a king. And Jesse lines up all of his sons. He's like, nope, 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 nope. Got any more? Well, he's got David, but he's insignificant. That's the one I want. Isn't it fascinating how God loves to take the small and do great things out of it? That ought to encourage us about our lives. But God works in this insignificant place, and He works in the common things of life. It's just a baby born. It's just another baby. I mean, when the angels appear to the shepherds, I mean, that's pretty spectacular. But He tells them, all right, go to Bethlehem and find a baby. And the surprising thing is that the baby's not in the palace, and the baby's not even in the temple, the baby's lying in a manger. That's what sets this baby apart. It's lying in a manger. It is the least expected thing for God to do. And God comes in humility and in commonness and in vulnerability. And why does he do that? Because he wants a real relationship with us. He wants a real relationship with us. Jesus is born into the world because he wants a real relationship with us. This is not Superman coming into the world from some other planet who appears to be human but's not. He's not. This is not Jesus is not in, in disguise like Superman with his glasses, which I've never understood how people I mean the IQ of the people of Metropolis, you know, that I don't recognize him. Well now I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's weird, right? I mean, what is that? I'm sorry, I'm off in his hands there. But, you know, he's not in disguise. It's God in flesh. Jesus is born. It's the one thing among all the things. It is the one thing that every human being has in common. We're all born of a mother. Every one of us. You are, and 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 I am. All of us. And so is Jesus. It's the most amazing thing in the world. And I think we take it for granted because we've heard the story so often. And this is how God comes to bring us home. This is how God comes to bring peace. And Micah says he is not just bringing peace. He is our peace. He is the essence of peace. It's in him. And he calls us to believe that his coming really means that. He calls us to engage ourselves in this counterintuitive plan for changing the world. And to be that kind of light and salt and witness. To be willing to live in exile, however we may have gotten here. To live in exile as his people, who make a difference in his world—that's what he's calling us to. And we we live with restless hearts because there is something in us that wants to be home. It's the most natural thing in the world. And as I was pondering that, I was thinking about the words of Saint Augustine: "Our hearts are restless." Until they find their rest in you. And I don't think he means our hearts are restless until Jesus returns and we're finally home. I think he means our hearts are restless until now. We find our rest in you. And that's really what this table is about. This table leads us backwards. In history, to what God has done. It points us forward to what God has promised to do. And it meets us right here in the moment where we live. God at work now, giving us grace and mercy and peace and life and witness and joy because Jesus has come. And the sign that we really believe that is that we live as if we believe it. Holy Father, we want to thank you for the gift of Christ for your grace and mercy upon us and that his coming into the world is to engage us in real relationship with you and to be a light for others. Father, as we, as we come to this table today, we pray, Father, that you will give us grace to see you and to hear you and to be open to you. Father, we pray that you will remind us of all that you've done for us in Christ and we pray that you will fill us with the hope that is ours in Christ may your blessing be poured out upon the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink we will do so to your glory the deepening of our souls and our walk with you to the witness of your grace in us and in this world. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We are receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. This means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you want to stay and pray. And I always, uh, also we have uh, trays of bread and, and cups in the back. We're happy to serve you in your seat if coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer that. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I also have gluten-free wafers here in cups. Just let me know if you would like those when you come forward. I, I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the in Church. This might be the first time that you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with a desire to know Christ and to be known by Christ and to live for Him, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father,
1: Us. Oh little town
3: of Bethlehem as still we follow
0: as we sing our closing hymn of praise together.